listening to First Church Charlotte. Let's sing that song you were playing at the uh, offering. Every praise. Give me the key you want to play that in. I can sing in all of them. Help me hear my tone. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship, one accord. Every praise, every praise to our God. You're going to have to help me because they conspire to make me look like a bad singer by putting all the songs in difficult keys. But we're going to overcome that today uh, by just showing forth the majesty of the gifts God has placed upon us. So I'm going to need all you guys to lift your voice and sing it with me. And I'm going to need you to clap your hands too. You think you can pull that off? If you'll help me, then I won't preach a long time. But if you make me do it by myself, we're going to be here the rest of the day. Are we ready? Here we go. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. You're going to have to lead this part right here. God our Savior. So, first of all, that song and the other song, uh, the word, mental block, that we sang during the earlier part of the service, Living Word, are two of my favorite worship songs of all time. And I, I sing, let's do that at the end. We'll sing that again at the end, that Living Word at the end when I get done preaching a Living Word message. Uh, so, uh, it, 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 I don't know who conspired to let the service minister to me, but it was for me today. And I'm glad you guys allowed me to take the whole service and make it about myself. So thank you very much for that. I have something funny to tell y'all now. No, church, 
Pastors don't normally tell this kind of stuff. I don't know because maybe it reveals too much about the character of the people in the church. But I just love this story. It cracks me up so much. So last night uh, they had the uh, cruisers. We have a small group uh, fellowship in our church uh, called the Azusa Street Cruisers. And so one of the most naughty of the uh, Azusa Street Cruisers is our own dearly beloved brother Ed, who um, as a, a retired law enforcement officer, he had he has these little things, these little chips that they smell just like marijuana. And uh, when you light them on fire, he has them from when he was in law enforcement. You light it, it smells just like uh, marijuana. So he had all these people over at his house. And... <laughs> And right before Eddie and Clarissa came in, he burned one of these chips. And uh, so they come into the house, and the whole house smells like marijuana. And that's how they greeted. And they kept a straight face, total a straight face. Praise the Lord, glad you're here. Isn't God good? <laughs> oh, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. <laughs> so anyway, that tells you all you need to know about First Church. Uh, <laughs> was a funny joke. That, that was funny. They got him good, you know. And of course, Ernest came in and said, my Lord, I knew the Lord put me in this church for some reason. <laughs> oh, I love all you guys. I'm so honored to serve the Lord with you. The Lord brought us all from interesting backgrounds. And yet the Lord has brought us together to join ourselves together in, a, in, an, in an endeavor, first of all, to bring glory to his name, uh, second of all, to worship him with our lives, also to fulfill his purposes, to minister one to another, to be the hands and the, the ministering hands and feet of Christ in a community. We're far from perfect. Uh, we have really no room for any perfect people. Uh, if you're pretty close to perfect, we're going to make you very uncomfortable, and we apologize in advance for that. Uh, but if you're uh, ordinary, if you're just normal folks, uh, this church is a great place for you to join in together with people of like-minded faith and join your hearts together to exalt the name of the Lord. Can I have a big amen, church? All right, let's see what else is going on. All right, so no Wednesday night this week. Uh, we normally, the last week of the month, our church is in the habit of doing in-reach. In the holiday season, that works. That really works for us um, in the sense that a lot of times we don't have to figure out what we're doing the last week of the month. And so this last week of the month, we will be, we will be having our in-reach. Uh, the only thing I ask you to do this week, I know you have obligations, and I know you have people that you uh, maybe have to get together with because of say uh, work work stuff or uh, family stuff or reunion stuff. I don't know what all you have planned and every holiday has its own thing. But uh, I, I want you to open your heart to somebody who is a uh, a surprise, somebody who you would not have normally made an effort to contact. Uh, if that is lunch, if that is dinner, if that is inviting someone to accompany you when you do something you were already going to do, that's all a small, a lot of small fellowships are just including other people. That literally becomes a make a style with which we show acceptance and love to other people. So let's do that somehow this week, and uh, let's, let's be that church, that church of the open arms, not the church of the crossed arms, <laughs> but the church of the open arms and the arms looking heavenward. Can I have a big amen? All right, so my, my subject today is this, try a little tenderness. Try a little tenderness. So, isn't that a beautiful picture? I want to steal that baby. 
And uh, all right, don't be interrupting my message, no, brother. I have the microphone. Okay, I'll have the I'll have the popo like haul you right up out of here. I'll be like you fast. <laughs> Just cutting up with you, my brother. So, no popo involved. Uh, so, here we are. Uh, famous words uh, that is written in a romantic context of a guy who is evidently trying to uh, spend some time with a, a fine young lady. Oh, she may be weary. Them young girls, they do get weary. Well, that's from high heels. I mean, you cut half of that out with to get some lower heels. Anyway, wearing that same old shaggy dress. No girls around here have any shaggy dresses. You guys look fantastic. And every time I see you, I just think you have more money than I do. Wearing an old shaggy dress. But when she gets weary, try a little tenderness. You know, she's waiting, just anticipating the thing that you'll never, 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 never possess. Yeah, yeah. But while she's there waiting... Without them, try a little tenderness. So uh, I uh, want to use that, that kind of title uh, that's kind of a, a cultural uh, moment. It's kind of a, you say it and people think of that famous song um, from a few decades back. Uh, the reason why I want to talk about tenderness today is because the most astonishing thing about the Christmas moment in Scripture. The most astonishing thing is not the star. Now, admittedly, the star is uh, pretty impressive. Most of us do not have a star guiding other people to us in any literal sense. And so the star, as a heavenly uh, a body, uh, it, it, it deserves some attention. I, I taught a Bible study back when I was uh, first here in Charlotte called His Star, and I told the story of characteristics that would have had to have been necessary about any star that would lead the wise men to Christ. The first one, I just off the top of my head, the first one is it wasn't the brightest star in the sky. If it had been all the other uh, wise men who recorded heavenly events, we have documents, would have recorded this as the brightest star. It was a star. It was not the brightest star. But the wise men were able to discern its uniqueness. And so it is in serving the Lord. He, he's not necessarily the brightest star vying for your attention. He's not rushing in upon you, assaulting you, demanding that you make time for him. But that star is an appeal in your life to walk this way, live this way, worship this way. Also, his star wasn't the brightest. It couldn't have been the highest star in the sky either. Because if it would have been too high, it would have been almost impossible to get direction from. It had to be low on the horizon where it's not the brightest and it's not the highest. Because if it has been too high, the wise men would have just stood under. It. it had to be low on the horizon where a wise man could receive direction direction from it. And so it is in serving the Lord. Uh, according to the ways of the flesh, the noble and the mighty are not overly uh, appealed to by the way of the cross. So it is that 
Christianity makes an appeal for you to uh, deny your flesh, not celebrate your flesh, to deny your uh, lusts, to deny your wishes and say, my life is not about me. My life must be about the Lord and serving the Lord. And so uh, all of these interesting things, it wasn't the star that's most interesting. Uh, It certainly isn't the wise men uh, from time immemorial, uh, wise men, quote unquote, uh, philosophers, thinkers, teachers, professors, choose your word. They have all been seekers, uh, whether they had a, a religious background or even a secular background. They are seekers. They're, there's something about them that is pursuant to something larger than them. They are seeking something. They're following after something. That's not particularly unique. Herod and his fear, his political fear of a king being born that would in some way assault his throne and, and him going forth and in some murderous, bloody manner, killing people to save his own hide. That's not unique. That's the story of human fear. And political ugliness. Politics are still ugly. Uh, That's not unique. Uh, A young couple desperately poor and having a bad time is not unique. Young couples being poor, having a tough time, are as old as the human story. In fact, we have some of you guys here today. God bless you. We love you. The uniqueness of this story is the Christ child. Because when you think of God, somebody say mighty God. Somebody say it like you mean it, mighty God. This mighty God, omniscient, somebody say all-knowing, omnipotent, somebody say all-powerful. This great God takes upon the desperately vulnerable form of a baby. Babies are so helpless. Babies are so vulnerable. A baby up until really the age at which we send them to school could almost not survive without care, without someone sheltering them, without someone feeding them, without someone changing them. Not only that, it's not just survival. It's not the cost of their life. It's also the potential of what they can become. If a child is not nurtured, if a child is not loved, if a child is not placed in an environment of interaction, affection, the first thing that will happen with the child will be profound mental uh, limitations of development, psychological, intellectual limitations. They will not develop. Some of the saddest uh, experiments that have ever been done in human uh, history have been those studies where children in orphanages that did not have enough staff were just given the minimum interaction. They were changed. They were fed. Nothing else. There's several uh, real scientific studies on this. Uh, And they were not given human interaction. And all of them have massive intellectual deficiencies. So it's not just survival they need. They need someone to pick them up and Eskimo kiss them. They need someone to tickle them. They need someone to put them up in the air and say... Abu. They need someone to say, you're so stinking cute, I don't know what to do with you. They need someone to bounce them on their hip. They need someone to tell them they're a genius when they hold up a block. And if they don't get that, it's not just survival that's at stake. It's development that is at stake. The most astonishing thing in the Christmas story is God in an infant. Don't rush past that. Don't just make it sentimental. 
God becomes desperately vulnerable. God shows the world what it needs. Now, the world thinks it needs better armies. The world thinks it needs more money. The world thinks it needs more security. God thinks the world should try a little tenderness. He did not have to come as a baby. He could have come as a, any stage of human development. But he chose a baby. He made himself desperately vulnerable. We think of power when we think of God. And oh, he has power. And if he would have thought the world needed power to be saved, he would have given us power. But he gave us a baby. We think the world needs more control, something us Christian folks are particularly bad about. We think Christianity is primarily about answering this question, how then should we live? That's what we tend to think. We tend to think that Christianity is a set of answers that answers this question, how then should we live? That inclines us to feel good about ourselves when our life fits the answers that we have been given. We are living as the way we should be living. But there's not one perfect person in the Bible, and yet God uses everyone in the Bible. In fact, when the Lord, I might get to preaching here a little bit. I'm feeling better all the time. I should have took some pain pills. Then I'd have been really dangerous. Uh, so, so, so here's the thing. When the Lord pays the highest compliment possible to somebody, I think the highest compliment paid to anyone in the Bible is to King David. He became a man after God's own heart. That's as high as it gets. In fact, the highest moment of divine testimony of being impressed by any living uh, individual is when God decides... To let his son be called the son of David. How impressed are you with someone when you say, I think my son would have a better living witness of what I value than to say he should bear your name. Jesus, thou son of David. Have mercy on us. There's no higher compliment than God saying, David, I want my son to bear your name. And David's a man filled with error, filled with mistake, filled with trouble. He ends his life by disobeying and causing a great judgment to come upon the children of Israel by numbering the people. Most of us, the human story goes like this. We believe in you till you make a mistake, then we're done with you. I don't care if you've been good righteously and properly uh, uh, married your whole life and you have all the respect of your of your community and you've never had any, any immorality. It doesn't matter if you've been good your whole life. If you blow it in your 50s, people are going to remember you as a guy who cheated on his wife. I don't care if you've been an honorable minister your whole life. If you disappear with the church's money and go to Vegas and blow it, that's how you're going to be remembered. You're going to say, oh, Don, didn't he disappear to Vegas with his? <laughs> and then you say, yeah, but Venice tracked him down and shot him three times. Did you hear about that? It was awesome. And he never was the same afterwards. This is how humanity works. We accept you. We believe in you. You blow it. It's over, honey. We'll never look at you the same. If the Bible was primarily about God using people, who answered this question, how then should we live? Then almost none of the characters we read about are qualified. Amen. 
I'm sorry I'm shouting you. I haven't been able to preach much lately, and it's really got me down, so I'm yelling a lot. All right, so this is what I want you to see. I want you to see this. The Bible, with the continuing sequence of flawed person, imperfect person, flawed perfect, imperfect person, it is not about how then should we live. It is what is our spiritual identity. Or let me say it another way. Who is your father? David, you blew it. Who do you serve? I get my identity through Jesus Christ. I strive toward the high calling of his purpose and his ministry, and I seek to live good works that testify of his change in me. But at the end of the day, the Bible is not a collection of people who finally attained enlightenment. It's not a collection of people who finally answer this question, how then should we live? It is about people who say, God, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? I am yours and you are mine. This is why as a church, it is profoundly important that we accept people in all the ups and downs in their life, in all the spiritual years and the carnal years, in the righteous times and in the fallen times, we accept them because God is speaking his will in their life. And when they're in per, some of you have young people, some of you have children who are not where they ought to be in God, but you grew up believing there was anointing of God upon them. Don't you stop believing that. And don't you alienate yourself from them because they're not perfect or they're not serving God the way you do. Do not alienate yourself from them. It's like the angel, it's like Mary said, let it be according to your word. You see, God's still speaking. But if you shut them down from the presence of God, simply because they're not answering the question, how then should we live? You think the Bible is primarily about people who finally attain enlightenment and share all your personal convictions. Come on and preach, brother. Hallelujah. God is committed by covenant with imperfect people. Oh, y'all didn't hear me not saying. I'm going to have to add a little bit more preaching today. I I can see I'm feeling a little long-winded here today. I've got Don shot over here three times. Uh, Evidently, it's good for him because he's saying amen real loud. I just feel like I have a ways to go here today before I sleep. So this is what I want you to see. We thought the world needed law, and God gave us tenderness. Baby, God gave us a lamb of God for sinners slain. And this is how the sincere, the true sincere uh, religious leaders of Jesus' day missed him so badly. The problem was not that they did not know the law. Honey, they knew the law. We talked about that a little bit Wednesday night. Knowing the law was really the only path for status within the Jewish community. They couldn't really succeed through military. They didn't have one. They didn't have their own politics. That was through Rome. They didn't have much business control. Rome controlled uh, who got to do what and where. They were oppressed people, but religion, they got to do their own religion. And so the best and the brightest pursue law and legal knowledge and knowing and teaching and being rabbis and priests. And when Jesus comes, they totally miss what God's doing. Not because they didn't know the law, but because they didn't understand the heart of God. And if you want to understand the heart... mm, Okay, so... 
so let, how can I explain this? Who can I pick on? Um, that's another way of saying, who do I know is a good sport? <laughs> Tell you what, I won't pick on anybody. I, I'll, I'll try to stay. I'll just use myself as an example. That way I don't have to run any risks uh, of anybody beating me up later. Although you should know if you want to beat me up, now's the time. Because in a few weeks, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> you just have an advantage right now, and then it's going to be gone. So anyway, moving along. <laughs> um, let, let's, let's, I could give you any number of, of truths. Somebody say truths. Truths about me. But they would all not be equally helpful to know who I am. Oh, don't rush past that. I can give you a bunch of truths about me. Let, let me pick on my dad. He's not here, and, you know, it's a holiday, so he can't get mad at his youngest son during the holidays. So, so, so my dad uh, 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 got married young, like many people in his generation did, had kids early, uh, uh, worked uh, on North, North Island in San Diego, uh, worked on uh, aircraft instruments. Um, then he went to school to be a high school teacher at San Diego State, and he had all his accreditation for high school teaching. And then uh, later on in his life, he, he uh, with three kids and um, a wife, uh, he went on the evangelistic field with just essentially no place to go, risked everything with three kids, had truthfully, uh, he wouldn't say it this way, but I get to, I was there, <laughs> uh, had a brutal experience on the field, really, came off the field owing money, uh, came off the field, but, but the Lord used that process to get him here to Charlotte, got here to Charlotte, uh, took a very small church here in Charlotte, and uh, all of everything I told you about him is, is true, had four brothers, uh, grew up in San Diego, um, all those things are true. But not all of those things are helpful in knowing who he is. In fact, some of them are a little bit misleading if that's all you know. If that's all you know, it's a little bit misleading. If you think he is that truth, somebody say, it's true. But it doesn't show you his heart. There's only a few truths in the story that shows you his heart. I would not point you to the fact that he has a teaching degree. It shows a little bit about his heart. I would not point you to the fact that he grew up with four brothers in Southern California. Um, I wouldn't point you to the fact that he grew up as a part of Brother Gray's ministry team, uh, even though that's all formative to him. I, I would point you to the fact that uh, he risked everything, he risked everything to find the next step of, of, of the Lord's work in his life. Now, he didn't do it without direction from his pastor. He didn't do it without some help and some planning. Uh, but even so, it seemed like at every stage he was failing. He was failing. He was failing. And yet he did it to do the next thing. Okay, so that is a truth, that truth. Not the four brothers, not the San Diego, not the aircraft instrument, not the accredited high school teacher. That's the truth that shows you his heart. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So here's where the house of Israel, in my week of study and thought and prayer, what they do wrong, is they read the law about you stone someone caught in adultery, and they think that's the heart of God. It's not. And so then they test Jesus by bringing a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they're ready to stone her. And they say, does not the law of Moses. Somebody say, truth. Does not the law of Moses say. And it's almost as though Jesus looks at them like they're aliens. And he says, okay, I'm glad you have a law. But why are you so happy about it? Do you see what I'm saying? You can get a truth 
that does not show you the heart of somebody. And then that person can then make a grand gesture to try to get you to see who they are. And you've got all your little truths. Well, this and that and that and the other and that and the other. And I know, I know, I got, yeah, but you miss their heart. And so I want you to see something I hope is astonishing if you sit down and think about it. When Almighty God, infinite, omnipotent, stunning, majestic, makes a grand effort to show you his heart. He doesn't show up with an army. He sends a baby because he thinks the world could use a little tenderness. I want to read to you an excerpt. And uh, this is from the book uh, Rubicon, The Last Years of the Roman Republic. It's written by the historian Tom Holland. And it is... uh, It's about the raising of children in the Roman Empire, okay? Just give me a moment more of your your attention. I I know it's after 12, but I'm going to be here till 3. So just, 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 just give me a moment more of your attention. Okay, so this is an excerpt. Raising children in the Roman Empire, okay? Okay? Hardness was a Roman ideal. The steel required to hunt out glory or endure disaster was the defining mark of a citizen. It was instilled in him from the moment of his birth. The primary response of Roman parents to their babies appears to have been less tenderness than shock that anything could be quite so soft and helpless. To the Romans, such a condition... Helplessness, verged on scandalous. Children were certainly too weak to be idealized, and the highest praise a child could be given was to be compared to an adult. A Roman, historian continuing, a Roman did not become citizen by right of birth. You weren't Roman because you were born into a Roman family. You were Roman because your father accepted and approved of you. And until your father accepted and approved of you, he had the right not just to kill you, but to banish you. A Roman did not become citizen by right of birth. It was within the power of every father to reject a newborn child and order to order unwanted sons and especially daughters to be exposed, left out in the elements to die. Before the infant was breastfed, the father would first have to hold him aloft, signaling that the boy had been accepted as his own and was therefore a Roman. The Romans lacked a specific word for baby, reflecting their assumption that a child was never too young to be toughened up. Newborns were swaddled tightly to mold them into the form of adults. Their features were kneaded and pummeled. They were treated badly to toughen them up. Old-fashioned Republican morality, this is Roman Republic, not the modern political party. Old-fashioned Roman Republic morality and newfangled Greek medicine united to prescribe a savage regime of regime of dieting and cold baths. Oh, you have a weak baby? Go give him a cold, freezing bath. That'll make him tough. Don't, don't anyone do that. I will choke you. Uh, <laughs> the result of this harsh upbringing 
was to contribute further to an already devastating infant morality rate. It has been estimated that only two out of three children survived their first year. And that under 50% made it to be a teenager or made it to puberty. The deaths of children were constant factors of family life. Parents were encouraged to respond to such losses with flinty calm. The younger the child, the less emotion would be shown. So that it was commonplace to argue that if an infant dies in its cradle, then its death ought not to be mourned. Yet reserve did not necessarily spell indifference. There is plenty of evidence from tombstones, poetry, and private correspondence to suggest the depth of love that Roman parents could feel. The rigors imposed on a child were not the result of willful cruelty. Far from it. The The sterner the parents, the more loving they were assumed to be by their society. So a boy trained his body from the youngest age for warfare and a child for, uh, excuse me, a boy for warfare, a girl for childbirth. But both were pushed to the point of exhaustion. No, I'm still quoting from the historian. No wonder that Roman children appeared to have had little time for play. In fact, far fewer toys have been found from the dating of the Republic, the Roman Republic, than from the period that followed its collapse when the pressure to raise good Roman citizens began to decline. Now, why, why, why? Why did I read you that rather horrifying insight into the Roman Republic? Well, this is why. This is the world. God sent his son, God in the flesh, to. If you have missed the heart of God, if you have missed the heart of someone who loves you, there's a very high chance that they're going to do some gesture to try to show you you're missing their heart. There's a very high chance they're going to do something to try to convince you who you think I am is not who I am. As a pastor, I often feel this desperately within myself because people will say things that are summations of me. I won't use the word judgment because that's pejorative. I'll just say summations of me. And it's like sometimes I want to go to them. And I say, you think I'm doing this because that's your opinion? You don't know me at all. Who do you think I am? But life often doesn't give us that opportunity because I'm not supposed to know what they said about me. I just want you to know I usually do. (laughs) Yeah. Busted. But I want to be nice to you, though. We're going to try a little tenderness. When you miss somebody's heart, chances are high they will do something to try to show you who they are. And I want you to see on this day when the baby, the Christ child, is born on this day. This is God's grand gesture to the world as if to say, you guys are missing me. I know you have this truth and this truth and this truth and this truth. And I know you have this law and this law and this law and this law. And I know you've got it all figured out and you're all religious scholars. But you've missed it so badly I sent prophets to tell you, I wish you'd quit all this business because you missed my heart. 
And then when they won't hear the prophets and they kill the prophets, he quits talking to them. Yes, even God tries passive aggressive. He quits talking to them. 400 years of silence. And then comes the greatest gesture of redemption. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The greatest gesture of divine love. The greatest image of I love you so much. I will do this. Is given to us. And that is this. The Holy Spirit, spiritual, overshadows a young virgin named Mary the carnal, and she conceives God in the flesh, and she is shamed by her community. She bears, the Lord's not afraid of what people think. Uh, Sometimes, particularly us religious people, we can be obsessed with what people think. God's not really concerned about what people think. Um, He he overshadows uh, a single young lady, and in her culture, her family has the legal right to stone her for adultery. He just didn't pick that kind of family to be born into. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. They had the legal right to stone her. You can't say you didn't commit adultery. You're busted. But the Lord didn't choose to be born into that kind of family. And her husband, her betrothed, I should say. Wrong word, betrothed. Her fiancé has the right to publicly divorce her in a Mosaic court, option one, to privately put her out of the way through a private divorce, option two, which the Bible says was what he was planning to do, or to accept the shame and the communal disapproval. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, you little slut. Don't get prissy now. She lived it. That's what her life was. Come on. And here, the Lord chooses a family that's not going to stone her. They had the right. Read your Jewish history. He chooses Joseph, who's not going to shame her. And through her, in this little stable... God's great act to try to convince you and us and them that maybe we missed his heart. And what God chooses to show us that we're missing him is a baby. Christ the Lord. Musicians come. So, a day, what's the risk for us? Is it possible for us to miss the heart of God? I believe it is. I believe it is, and I think that it should lead us all individually to uh, have correct devotion and and pursuing the the presence of the Lord in our life and and choosing mercy. The Bible teaches us we ought to do justice and love mercy. Can I have a big amen on that one? So, uh, we we, we need to be people who live just. In other words, you're hard on yourself. And we love mercy. We're kind to others. What? That's the best message I've heard all day. We're tough on ourselves. We do justice. Every conviction you have, if you keep it pointed in, it's beautiful. The moment you turn it into a sniper rifle, it's ugly. 
Every good thing you do for God, you point it inward, it's beautiful. Turn it into a sniper rifle, it's ugly. We do justice. We're tough on ourselves. I need to pray more than I pray. I need to be more disciplined than I am. But others, oh, I'm sure they're doing the best they can. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what happened to them. I feel like they're probably a better Christian than I am. Love mercy. Do justice. Love mercy. We can miss the heart of God. We can get law right. We can get good works right. We can get Old Testament systematic theology right. We can get New Testament gospel understanding right and miss the heart of God. If you want to see the greatest redemptive act, the the symphony of grace, you need to go to Bethlehem. Start there. See a baby given by God, the living word. And you need to see him through his ministry to the house of Israel. He was to them, but his work was for us all. Don't have time for that. And see him go all the way to Calvary and see them beat him and strike him, hurt him, thrust a crown of thorns upon his head. see, hear him say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So, 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 so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish up here. This is what I want you to see. We know what we think the world needs. We know what we think others need. Get us on Facebook and we'll tell the world what the world needs. We'll get everybody straightened out. We'll be judgmental about that and quick-tempered about that and loud-mouthed about that and dismissive about that. We'll just slay them dead. Bless God. And then we go to Christmas and we see what God thought the world needed. And so my message today, however much you think you know about God, try a little tenderness. However much you think you know about living right, try a little tenderness. No matter how good you have organized your life through effort and discipline and prayer and fasting, God bless you. Do that, but try a little tenderness. And stand with Jesus before a flawed, broken world and say, where are thine accusers? They've all left me, Lord. All right. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's start over and start over and start over. We'll start over again tomorrow and we'll start over and start over and start over. Go and sin no more. Let's all stand. So, so if you, if you grew up around church, uh, it's easy to find all your things that, that you're not doing right. Uh, it's easy to find your errors and we, we all have errors from the platform to the uh, parking lot. We all have errors. Uh, just the degree varies. Uh, like myself, I have very small errors, and like you, you have very large errors. It's really that's how that works. Uh, and it's easy to know what you're getting wrong. That, that's e- it's easy to know what you're getting wrong. Just think of whoever was responsible for putting you in church, what they would think of you. Honey, you know what they would think of you. They would tell you the truth about you. 
need to do this, blah, 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 blah. And they're probably right. You would do better off if you'd get your act together. It'd be better for everybody if you'd pray. What? Thank you, Jesus. It would be better for everybody if you get your life organized. It'd be better for everybody if you'd find a place of ministry. It'd be better for everybody if you'd live for God and not the world. That's all true. But in all the stuff you know about church, don't miss the tenderness of our Savior who knows your heart and knows where you are and knows what you're doing good and not so good and knows what you ought to be doing better on and and loves you. In fact, the greatest manifestation of love is this. We know grace did not begin at Calvary. It was a plan from the beginning. And we know that from two passages that are repeated in the scripture. Two, not passages, but styles, uh, two phrases. The first one is this. This is an Old Testament phrase, mostly in the Old Testament. For his name's sake. Why did he bring him out? You say it. For his name's sake. Why did he forgive him? Why did he save him? He was a savior. It was who he was. He did it because it was who he was. In the New Testament, here it is. He loved you from the foundation. He died from the foundation. He died. Hear this. Hear this. The surprise is not that God saved you. The surprise is that he always was going to save you. Yes, flawed you, flawed you, flawed you. Touch your neighbor, say, that was for you. Flawed you. It's not just that he saved you, but that he always was going to save you. Lord Jesus, I pray you would walk with your people. I pray you would let us comprehend the great tenderness of that moment of your birth. And I pray you would help us comprehend the tenderness with which Mary, who you chose, you chose the tenderness with which she sought to protect you from the cold. You chose her. She had none of the wealth of this world, but you felt safe in the arms of a desperately poor girl. She wrapped you she kept you warm you chose that path help us to see that tenderness help us to see the tenderness of Joseph as he tries in his own way broke as he is to take care of the people you put in his hands let us see the tenderness with which that family loved you but more than that help us to perceive the tenderness with which you loved us and you kept us all warm and you wrapped us in our helplessness and you you saved us Lord Jesus it just looks like it just looks like you were the one that was helpless but it was all of us that was helpless and it just looks like you were the one who was cold it was all of us who were cold And it just looks like you were the one that needed someone to feed you. We were the ones starving. And it just looks like you needed someone to shelter you. We all needed shelter. That's good. 
And God, though I, I read law, and though I read gospel, and though I study Old Testament, New Testament, don't let me miss your heart, Lord Jesus. Because you chose tenderness to say you loved us. And we give our life to you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.